Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. We do certainly need to have a much stronger voice, both in, in technology, so you think of AI, I'm also thinking of, of research, which goes into medicine, genetics, chemistry, whatever you want, where the communicator comes with these what-if questions, show me your algorithm, explain it to me as if I have no idea, and engages with, with those who design these products and challenges them to think of the impact and the result of what they're creating beyond the wonderful intellectual abstract challenge of solving a problem. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Mary Beth West, Senior Strategist of Fletcher Marketing PR in Knoxville, Tennessee, in Atlanta, Georgia, sitting in for Kelly today. Our topic is Data in the Details, a Better PR Advocacy Model. And it's no accident here that we have a little bit of a wordplay here in our title from the common phrase, devils in the details, because for sure, many companies have a devil of a time getting their arms around data to properly inform their PR campaigns and their strategies to, to measure impact. Our special guest today, all the way from Berlin, Germany, is Dr. Anna Adi, Professor of Public Relations and Corporate Communications at Quadriga University of Applied Sciences. If you've noticed that we've hosted several international guests of late, you are completely correct. Kelly and I, when we first developed this podcast, we wanted to integrate diverse viewpoints and perspectives as part of Misinterpreted. So we're doing that in part by going outside our nation's borders here in the United States and reaching across the world to the extent possible to experts with subject matter expertise from that global viewpoint, that global perspective. Our ongoing partnership with the Public Relations and Communications Association in London, known as PRCA, has helped us cross paths with many such experts. So we're indeed fortunate to have Dr. Anna Adi on our program from Berlin. Anna started a limited-run podcast in October 2019 called Women in PR. She actually started it just within weeks of when we started Misinterpreted. So it was just interesting timing how that came about. And of course, with a title like Women in PR, our, you know, her podcast was completely up our alley. Total synergy there. So listeners, do check out Women in PR on SoundCloud, Apple, or wherever you download podcasts. Anna's podcasts have had so many impressive women in PR leadership, and I love how she's given voice not only to some outstanding strategists, but also to issues that really matter in our profession that are very timely and that are very much on people's minds these days, especially as you look at social media and look at you know what some other PR podcasts are covering as well. Anna's areas of academic and professional expertise extend from public relations and digital storytelling to social and traditional media measurement, as well as corporate social responsibility, or CSR, which is a, a topic that we've actually covered on this podcast before, but we're going to be delving into that a bit more here today. I'm very excited about Anna's perspectives on that. So today on Misinterpreted, I'm really thrilled to have Anna share with us her perspectives on several topics 
all under the umbrella of using data effectively in PR-driven campaigns and advocacy work. So without much further ado, welcome, Anna, to Misinterpreted. Well, thank you so, so very much for having me. We do have quite a bit of time difference, but isn't it wonderful that podcasts just blurry this away. That's right. Absolutely. It it is uh it, it's been a really effective tool for us to be able to lend voice to issues that we care about in our profession and really be able to advocate for issues that matter in ethical PR and in best practices and uh, we're just very delighted to have you on here to to lend insight into some of these many areas of expertise that you have. Anna, as a first matter, please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, particularly what your passions are in the public relations profession, how you've built your global following here in recent years in particular. So when you said passions, I thought of my baking and <laughs> stuff that I actually do paint in the in the evenings. And then I and then I heard public relations, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about serious stuff. <laughs> um, you and also you think global following as if oh my dear lord if I would ever be there uh, you know my my mom will say I told you so um, no but the truth is global following uh, it's just a reflection of my professional journey yeah. um, I was born in Transylvania in, in Romania so uh, that's that much you know and you were probably able to puzzle out and I've obtained most of my degrees abroad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the following that you talk about is very much a result of me meandering through the world, trying to discover the world, get better at what I do, following a passion for comms. So, you know, I've ended up in Belgium. I've ended up in the States, in Missouri, (laughs) in in Scotland, in, in England. Bahrain uh, in the Middle East, and uh, I think this stop, and it's going to be a much longer stop, uh, is uh, in Germany. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, um, most of the time, uh, I moved to a country being so very utterly curious about everything they did, you know, from the the food that was cooked to how comms was being practiced and understood. And in a very short period of time after landing, my, my job changed in such a way that I ended up traveling more than seeing the countries I were in. So I've seen a lot more of Asia than of the UK. I've seen probably a lot more of, well, no, I did I did see the States because you're sort of landlocked. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I used to fly everywhere. Yeah. Um, as for PR, I started studying PR at a time when nobody quite knew what that is. And it started from an utter curiosity with persuasive comps, so persuasive communication, but also the ethics of engaging in such practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but you know, like every Transylvanian, I'm more, I'm much older than you think, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, Romania has been through communism. Right. And, Still, persuasive of comms has played a very, very important role during during those times. So, you know, when I started studying public relations, I was just curious about the similarities or differences and the ethics of all that. Well, what's interesting to me, Anna, is just this uh, perspective that you bring from having come from a country that has been economically and culturally, socioeconomically, politically through that type of 
issue with communism. I think that that is a very interesting lens and perspective that you bring that, for example, you know, here in the United States, we we know what communism is. We read about it in history books and textbooks, and we learn about it in school, but it it's not something that most of us, unless we've lived internationally, that we've ever experienced firsthand or lived through. And so it's that kind of perspective. It's that kind of diverse viewpoint on things that is just so particularly helpful. And I really uh, enjoyed your comment here about when people did not understand what PR is. I think that we still struggle with that. I think that we have this continuous challenge across the globe of establishing an accurate awareness of what public relations even is. And we here in the United States, uh, you know, we like to think that our market is here is very sophisticated and very advanced relative to all kinds of business concepts. We, we actually uh, have a very big education process that we are still going through and that we still need to be focused on as a profession. So that leads me to my next question regarding the podcast that you started. You know, I'd love to ask you what exactly was that impetus of your starting the Women in PR podcast? And I'd love to know if you have plans to continue it in the future. Well, that's so kind of you to mention it, um, because it is it is a project that is very, very dear to my heart, particularly because in, it, it is, in a, in a way, so far away from what I think we would expect academics to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but, but then again... It, Podcasting to me is just like a sort of form of radio without the live element uh, in it. Right. And the live radio and newscasting is something that I used to do in high school. <laughs> it, it took about a year of me reading the news every weekend until my colleagues in high school figured that it was me reading the news. Oh, wow. So you had that experience in high school. That's very interesting. Yes. Well, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't very uh, tempted to, I don't know, do nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted a job, <laughs> and I've, uh, I, I, I was already speaking about three languages at the time, and oh. so I thought, oh, okay, newscasting is something I could do. I could read the news, right? And uh, I started knocking at local radio stations' doors and said, "Would you want to have someone?" do stuff. Um, <laughs> but little did I expect that the, that the head of this, uh, the news section of this local station would shovel me into the studio a week later and said, now read live. <laughs> wow. Uh, out of the frying pan into the fire, right. as we say so, in the United States. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I've, I've missed that experience dearly because, you know, I've, I've learned uh, writing very, in a very different sort of writing. So right. Very no-nonsense, very factual yeah. to the point writing that you that you need. And that's why I've missed the studio. You know, there's a smell of it and there's a taste of it. And mm-hmm. you need to think almost in, in a different and structured way. Something that you do not do just in a in a daily conversation. So maybe you know that's something of in me wanting to relive those teenage years, but um, <laughs> that brought me to thinking of of podcasts. There's definitely a very strong American influence, and and then a bit of Romanian. So I do I do have quite an extensive list of podcasts that I listen to, but I've realized that I can't be. And I can't do what they do. So the likes of This American Life or uh, Hidden Brain or what what they do in Romania. There's a podcast called Mame Mothers, and and it talks about how we work when we have kids and how we raise kids when we work. 
but I thought I have something still to to say, and that that idea of I have something to say didn't quite dawn on me until many others came and 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 made it very clear. So l- let me tell you a little bit of how this started. Since you asked, I teach PR for quite a while, and most of the time when I teach, whether it's history or whether we're looking at business models or we're looking at CSR or you name it, the future of public relations, I tend to ask also, among other things, gender-related questions. Like, who's missing from our history? What is our PR history mainly based on? What are these models that, you know, we're taking from the textbooks? And if we were to replicate them and continue with that, where are we going to end up, right? So, again, if we wanted to take an algorithm today and sort of predict how the workforce in PR would look like based on data in the 50s, then both you and I would probably, I don't know, be doing something else but not PR. (laughs) Right. And... And so it's 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 this sort of interplay that uh, that I that I play mm-hmm. with in, in my classes. But still, I I just thought that that's my mission as an academic. Students come to 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 the courses that I teach so that they are challenged and that they're well, forced is maybe not the best word, but still they're they're invited to think in in different sorts of dimensions. But as I said, it didn't dawn on me on how important and relevant these questions about gender and the heritage of public relations have until one of my former students, uh, Jennifer Bowie, came to me and she said uh, and said that she wants to write a thesis about it. Oh, I mean, I still remember. You know, it was a it was a very beautiful sunny day, and I was. Uh, here in Berlin at Quadriga University, we teach an intensive module. So students come to us because they're executives, usually for four to five days, including a weekend. Then we teach from nine o'clock in the morning till six in the evening. And in one of those really filled days, uh, Jenny came to me and said, I don't exactly know what I want to do, but I want it to be something about women and storytelling. And we talked about digital storytelling and her thesis was with women who have entered or decided to leave public relations and it was their own stories and reflections. And going through reading and and supporting Jenny and, and developing her thesis, I realized that there's so much research out there that is carried um, by women or about women. And there's so many practitioners out there who have things to say Yet we we go to professional conferences and we still have man panels and we still present that as an excuse of, oh, women were not available or, mm-hmm. oh, we still want to maintain the diversity of the panel. So you you might remember in the teaser, I said, I don't, I am not a frustrated academic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sound like one. But the the truth of the matter is that I've traveled long enough and into various places to see that there is a discrepancy into how women are are treated and into the way we we talk about women in in PR. Mm -hmm. So I've sort of talked about this and I've mentioned it and a lot of of people would say, oh, it would be fun to have an academic. And I thought, right, who, who would that be? And uh, and then another wonderful woman came along, uh, Regina Corona is her name. She has set up professionalpodcast.com, now I'm name dropping on you, but uh, she set up her, her own company. Regina is just fantastic. She has a background in comms consultancy. She started her own business. 
And then here's Regina. She must be mad, but she's done it. She came to me and said, you know what? Let's do this podcast of yours. Mine. So I freaked out. <laughs> don't tell that to anybody. I freaked out. But I thought I don't have much to do because all these other guests that we had in the podcast, they had so many wonderful things to say that we should hear about. Right. That I'm in very, very good hands. So to go back to your question, do you want to do another one? Yes, 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 please, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, we want to see you back uh, behind the microphone there and, and, and hosting guests as you have on the Women in PR podcast. You've done a really masterful job, I think, of not only selecting guests that had compelling things to say and have compelling things to say, but the way that you tr have treated the subject matter has been very interesting as well. I'd love to get your insights on why data matters in the field of public relations and the hows and whys of data not getting its due in our profession. I think that's a very big issue. I think that a number of us really who are out there producing work in the field, we understand that data is the linchpin toward crafting the best PR strategies, not only on the front end of a campaign or an initiative, but also measuring the impact of that effort over time. Um, I feel like most PR professionals and agencies nowadays are doing a much better job than, say, 20 years ago on this task of undertaking data in a serious way and integrating it in the right way. But as a profession, we, we still have a lot of work to do. And so one of the reasons that I love having someone of your background here on the program is because you can give us some of these perspectives about how we can utilize data in a better way and how we can advocate for better data-driven practices. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. What are your observations as a researcher and as someone who has integrated research and data in, into your work so well? Well, um, I yes, data. And I think we've, we've done a whole lot of progress in, in recent years. I just remember, you know, my times when, when I started working, how every campaign was just about raising awareness. Right. And uh, even even back in the day, I used to be so frustrated because I, and, and I have this example, which I give my students still today, you know, and I, and I tell them, if you were to to be a communications professional that needs to tell someone about the apocalypse <laughs> and you raise the awareness, what have you achieved? Right. Uh, right. You know, what are you measuring really? Are you measuring how many people are freaked out? Are you measuring how many people, you know, are yelling? Are you measuring how many, I, I don't know. What have you achieved right, with right. this raising awareness? So, yes, we've we've done a lot of progress in the sense that there's more and more discussion about data. But in the same vein, more and more when we talk about data, we talk too much, I think, as if it's this little shiny box, you know, where you put data in and you get data out. And when we say data, most of the time we think of numerical data, so right? numbers, finance, again, in, needles sort of, something in, something out. So I have slowly migrated, if you want, I have slowly shifted in thinking that it's it's not a better use of data that we need, but but rather a much better understanding and, and thorough application of research. Mm -hmm. Because then data is part of research, but 
so is ethics part of research. So is understanding sampling, um, validity, reliability, when those concepts apply or they don't apply. Right. Um, so we would understand confidentiality versus anonymity. There, there are a bunch of things that go into the setup of a of a bit of you know of a research program that need to be clarified and thought of, which have clear influence on what sort of data, right, and insight and analysis you can get out uh, if you want. Right. And and I had, in, in, the, in the past, I, I find myself quite privileged. I've been sitting on various awards, as, as well as I've been invited to, to talk about measurement at various conferences, both here in Berlin, as well as in Eastern Europe and elsewhere. And because um, you've asked me about some of my observations, Yes, there is an increased use of reported measurement, but most of it is campaign-related. Also, most of it is vanity metric filled, so stuff that is readily available and we can pick it up and it makes us feel good. Going back to awareness, right? I've got so many likes. Who cares? Right. Uh, I've got so many impressions. Who cares? I've reached so many people. Like how? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you touched them? You know, did they call you back? Did then when they did, did they swear at you or did they say something nice? <laughs> the reaction is actually uh, pretty important, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's it's not that you've reached the people. What you want is actually something else. So yes, we're we're getting better, but there's still a lot to learn. And uh, one of the things that annoys me the most is that when we want to get out, we, we, people that I meet and they want to get out of, of this uncomfortable exchange like we've had with our metrics, right? What questions, well, what do you want? How does it look? Then they bring in the discussion AV, advertising value equivalence. And I just, I don't know. I think, I think the Hulk is a good representation of what I turn into. <laughs> When I hear about ABs, yes, that's a very hot topic right now. Well, I'm sorry, it it doesn't. Again, I have another story, and I tell them, look, I'm so frustrated with you right now <laughs> that I'm going to go and hire and pay a billboard as big as the state of Tennessee. <laughs> that would be a big. And billboard. I'm going to say the meanest word, very big billboard, right? So your our AV is going to be brilliant, fantastic. <laughs> But the words that I'm going to put on that billboard are going to make you very unhappy. <laughs> so your choice, report AVs, but I'll still get my billboard. Well, yeah. So do tell us, do tell us a little bit about why, what's driving <laughs> the uh, frustration there for some of our um, audience who, and, and explain what AVEs are for, because some of our listeners are not entrenched in the profession and may not know what that is. Okay, so um, I've I've taken this for granted. You know, I've already turned into the Hulk. Um, <laughs> advertising value equivalences are a very cheap, cheating way out, uh, and and a, a very simple yet direct way of demeaning whatever value public relations can bring to an organization. So, what used to be done in the past, and maybe it worked, was. So when I say in the past is when there was one newspaper in town and everybody knew that newspaper and everybody also knew what the organizations were in town, 
when an organization would be mentioned in the paper, then someone would very diligently go there with a ruler and measure how big the article in the newspaper was, right? That's right. what advertising equivalent is. And because they didn't pay for an advertisement in the paper, they would say, well, this is as good as if. But I'm sorry, public relations is not always related to selling you, I don't know, ice cream or cars or you, you whatever you like to buy. So you can't just say that this mention here in the newspaper is as good as if I would have shouted out loud, which advertising does, about how good my product is. Because you're not. If, if public relations is about reputation, if, if we see it as a strategic, persuasive effort to to highlight and persuade and, and get people to to trust you, right? And that means that you need to be trustworthy, you need to be reliable, you need to deliver on the promises that, that you're making. No advertising is going to, to sort that for you. And therefore saying, I'm the, you know, I'm as good as if I've paid $100 for this thing is not going to solve it out. Because whether you paid or not paid for it, people are still going to think that you're either capable or incapable on delivering on, on your promises. So in, in this day and age where we have a variety of media outlets, um, advertising value equivalency still stays in the sense that people measure, look at the reported advertising budget, whether it's for social, so think of a banner or a link exchange or a promoted tweet, and they would calculate that. And, and say that if, I don't know, one of your competitors, uh, Kelly, is going to mention you, then that's good as if you would have paid, I don't know how much advertising. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, to me, it's like advertising value equivalency is like putting um, what are the two things that do absolutely not go together? Oranges and uh, gherkins. Right, right. In the same equations. They just, they just don't fit. The the reason why um, I I see this a lot in Eastern Europe. I also see this done in smaller organizations. The reason why a lot of communication practitioners um, mention AVs, well, there's two. One is either they blame it on on their CEOs or whoever else they're working with because they ask for a number a financial figure to be attached to their efforts, which most of the time, if you do want to consider public relations as something part of a marketing funnel, we don't have enough time to talk about that. I think it's sometimes different. But if you do want to consider public relations efforts as part of the marketing funnel, the sale is not closed by PR. So you can't put money in, money out. PR is somewhere there in the middle. So you can't put the hard financial number as in you you know, hey, here are my socks in the drawer, socks out, clean or not clean. So for that reason, this this discussion of advertising and equivalence of money in, money out is very difficult for PR. But public relations has objectives, right? Reputations related, perception related, behavioral objectives. And those are measured with thorough research, but are measured at, at people level, not at budget money level. Right. So that's why they're inappropriate. The second one is that they're absolutely afraid of math or they haven't studied public relations. So there's three. I'm sorry. I'm bad at counting. (laughs) Well, yeah, and let me interject. I will also say that I think that a lot of this focus on AVE and and trying to quantify public relations value or the, the output of that work to advertising 
it really stems from this historic basis of so much of public relations originated within media relations, a purely a publicity-driven model from decades and decades ago where there was not a holistic type of viewpoint as to the, the, the power of relationship building and the symbiotic nature of that and the, the synergy between listening and responding and developing a call to action and developing meaningful brand relationships. It was really all about generating publicity, generating news coverage, feature coverage. In large part at the time, it was focused on traditional media because that's all that we had. And so it is, I think, a very outdated measurement form. I think that the you know companies that are interested in pursuing media relations and pursuing a media relations component of their public relations program can look at other ways of quantifying the news coverage, feature coverage that's being generated out of that work toward the value to their brand. What's your, what's your thought on that? Well, I I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yes, we PR historically, particularly in in America, North America, was very very strongly related with media relations uh, and and publicity. But that model, as in the that media context in which PR was set up, is not there anymore. Is a lot more varied, and the the sort of objective that communicators are working towards are also a lot more varied than just get me in the paper. So totally, totally agree. Right. Again, if you want to be in the paper, the question is, the question is not how big do you want your picture to be, right? Nobody comes to you, I, I hope, saying I want this entire big picture of mine without telling you what sort of picture they want in the paper and on which section of the paper and who they would want to be related to or not. And and that's what public relations does. So that cannot be quantified in how big the ad is. Right, right. And it, it, it's such an interesting discussion because it is a, it, a large part of this is about evolving client expectations and business community, CEO, business owner expectations of a much more broad understanding about the power of public relations and how diversified the profession is in generating impact and generating relationship building opportunities far, far beyond just the media relations piece of it. I would like to shift a little bit of the conversation also talking about data, but this idea of corporate activism when we talk about client expectations nowadays. You recently appeared on our friend, our mutual friend, Elementi's Power and Influence Twitter chat. And for our listeners, that's a hashtag power and influence. And Ella is is a is a good friend of ours. She was actually on our first misinterpreted Twitter chat just in recent weeks as well. Did an incredible job on the topic of women driving thought leadership. But Going back to how you engaged there, corporate activism does pose this huge question and a lot of different questions for those of us in PR in this age of especially political correctness, cancel culture, as they say, brands having this desperate need to connect with younger demographics that embrace the woke movement across you know, these countless social and political issues. One of Kelly's and my earlier podcast episodes last year was on 
a dueling, if you will, hashtag topic, brands taking stands versus get woke, go broke, uh, which uh, each of those hashtags have sort of emerged in social media as a thing on Twitter, especially. So here's, here's the question on that. How should brands utilize data, you know, kind of focusing in on, on, on that aspect of our topic today? How do they utilize data to evaluate whether or not engaging in corporate activism PR is the way to go? Because the question for brands is not simply how to engage, but whether to engage at all in the first place when it comes to corporate activism. Isn't that right? I think you're right, but that also has very much to do with what we understand as activism. Right. And uh, it's it's great that, that you mentioned, you know, PR history uh, before and the fact that in, in the U.S., PR was so intrinsically related to media relations because part of that history as well, so just think of the Rockefeller and Vanderbilt, so uh, these rubble barons, right? Activism was a tainted word. There were these pesky people who were uh, annoying corporations and holding them accountable or following them and forcing them to do things. And up to nowadays, whether it's because we've been peaking about how public relations has evolved or whether because one of the fiercest opponents of corporations have been sitting in NGOs and, and in uh, and sort of government-related associations, so non-government and government, activism has been seen as something that public relations practitioners need to fear. Mm-hmm. And activism has therefore been presented as the worst thing that happened to a to a PR practitioner. And I'd I'd like to to disagree. Um, I think understanding and engagement of activism is culturally dependent, right? So here's all our previous discussion, right, about history in the U.S. opposing activism. But then let's look at it from a different way. Just think of it activism as Someone taking taking a stand on a particular issue or something that they find incredibly value, uh, valuable to themselves. And therefore, they try to convince you, they try to persuade you that they are right. So it's not that they bully you, they're not going to beat you up, they're, they're forms, right? Right. But it's a, it's a form of, of strategic persuasive communication. Now, if you if you see PR as a strategic persuasive exercise, then everybody's an activist. Good point. Companies, governments, NGOs, institutions, each of them have an idea, a value that they support and would like others to support too. It's just that, you know, we've been taught to, to hear that you know, it, activism always comes with these manifestations of either rage uh, that are emotionally driven, which we call protests, or with with these other manifestations, uh, which we call dissent, and they're usually oppositional, and there's like someone holding a grudge and, I don't know, pranking you for the rest of your life. But we're all activists. And I think the moment we agree that we're all activists, then deciding whether we engage or not in activism is not the question anymore, but rather that question shifts to what are the values that we stand for. Right, right. Anna, I'd love to turn the conversation back to the marketing to women space here a bit and also female demographics. As you know, Kelly's firm, Fletcher PR, specializes in lending voice via marketing that resonates with women. 
couldn't help but notice last year on your list of industry talks that you participated in in 2019, one was entitled, How Do You Want a Female Future to Look Like?, which you presented at an event in Berlin called Female Future Force Day, which that really caught our attention. We thought that was really interesting. We'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that event and what some of the issues are in that arena that you're involved in there in Germany. Well, Female Future Force Day is fun, but it's also a very, very big event. And they they have several of them in, in Germany, and they focus on personal, professional, and social development. And well, although they do speak about females and tal- as talent and the future force, it's not like they leave everybody else at the door. Mm-hmm. But it tends to be a, a, a heavily driven female-focused sort of event. Now, um, here in Germany, there seems to be quite an appetite for discussions about gender, gender roles, female leadership. Um, and I think that's great. One of the challenges I see with that is that <laughs> these groups tend to tend to stay within the the remit of gender. Ah. And I let me clarify a little bit. So when when I had to give this talk, they wanted me to to talk obviously to to have a masterclass around what a female f- future would look like. And going back to our example of public relations, if we were to think of our present and our future as an extension of practices that we have in, inherited from the past, right? Then we're not we're going you know we're we're going into very bad places. So, right, you and I are going would have had basically to to look for a different job. So, if we approach the gender question the same way, then you know, once you and I are going to I don't know rule the world, and uh, Pinky and the Brain are saying twice on a Wednesday, <laughs> then aren't we going to be more prone to want to hold on to that position mm. of power and of privilege? So, in that sense, what have we achieved? Mm-hmm. but replacing one sort of model of dominance with another mo- uh, model of dominance. So um, I, I didn't say it just like that to, to the participants, but we tried to, to work together to ask them, what is it? What sort of a future did they envisage that would be female-led? And to show them how, how much these biases and particularly unconscious biases play out into how we envision the future, I had two very little games. I just asked them to picture an astronaut and tell me what would it be, male or female, to picture a teacher, to, to picture a PR practitioner. And then I showed them a couple of pictures um, with, again, these, this time uh, they were all women, but they were dressed differently and they had different races. And I asked them to say who they would prefer as a manager. Of course, these are these are instantaneous decisions that the group in the room communicated, and they realized how flawed and and how fraught uh, with with bias their decisions were. Really, and so that's when the conversation started. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so they were the feedback they were giving you then seemed to indicate that they had some of their own inherent biases. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Well, just um, just let me give you um, a bit of an example. 
it, it's not my my research. It's research coming out of the states, and then Hidden Brain covers this brilliantly as we speak about podcasts. And there's one episode in particular when they talk about gender, and the examples are coming from nursing, and they were saying that the moment males entered nursing, because these perceptions were that females, uh, it was a female job. It was a, not a female, a feminine job. In order to sort of cope with this misappropriation, <laughs> misstandard, if, if you want, yeah. males um, usually come up with different job titles. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Now, let me play it back to you. Public relations practitioners, how do we present them nowadays? Servant. Gee, thanks. No, I'm not serving anybody coffee. So that goes back to all these stereotypes of PR bunnies and secretaries and pretty girls who, you know, have made cigarettes appropriate because Eddie Bernays told them so. Trusted advisor versus consultant. Consultant, as a word, is male. Trusted advisor is a female. Or at least a, a research indicates. Oh, interesting. And there was another... There was another episode that we had with, with Yermans who um, reminded me of the pink ghetto and the velvet ghettos, which is research that was done into the history of public relations, showing how women who've entered the force, right? Because PR used to be male at the beginning, heavily male. Right. And the moment the market got liberalized, wages got um, dragged down. Yes, and and sort of career path and progression have been very gender related. So going back to this female future force, the question is, how do we want it to look? And now that we are aware and we're, we have this ability to reflect on the heritage of the profession, how is it that we can ensure that we're not going to just create a new system that perpetuates just a different sort of bias? Right, right. I think that's so interesting. And it's interesting, the feedback that you got in that in that forum as well. It's also very compelling to me how some of these differences translate. Since you've been in the United States, you've spent time here, you know, what is what some of those differences are between cultures of, you know, the European culture or cultures within various countries in Europe, as well as the United States. Well, final set of questions, Anna. Um, as a new decade is now obviously underway, we should anticipate a whole new cascade of digital communications trends, implications for our work in public relations, et cetera. And when I look out in social media and I try to follow and track a lot of the issues that are going on, one of the top issues that are out there right now is what artificial intelligence is going to mean for our profession, including the ethics implications and how we as a profession are going to advise employers, clients, and integrate that kind of, I guess, more unfamiliar technology that AI is, at least for most of us, into product and service offerings. The point of my question here isn't necessarily to get into a big discussion about AI, but I'm very just curious what you think of how PR as a global profession is now postured to take on that kind of macro issue or trend. As a profession, are we doing the right things to stay ahead of issues on that point? That's a that's a very tough question to ask. It's a matter of access. So, you know, and when we talked about data earlier and and we talked about activism, most of the time it's the others that PR has to work with and, and their perceptions about what PR needs to do, should do, and can do 
influence very much our ability to to do our jobs. Right. So you know whether whether we're well prepared to answer <laughs> the upcoming challenges of, of AI, I think it's only half of the question. Mm. There's definitely great great attention. There's great interest. I've also carried out a study uh, last year, uh, PR 2025, when we were looking at competencies, uh, particularly related to technology and, and business, that practitioners should tackle in the midterm. And it was digital literacy that came up as a as a main technology mm. skill, and not AI. So AI, digital literacy, in a sense, goes goes includes AI, but doesn't stop there. Right. As for what what you were asking, I think you know there there's not a single answer, but we do certainly need to have a much stronger voice, both in, in technology. So you think of AI. I'm also thinking of of research, which goes into medicine, genetics, chemistry, whatever you want, where the communicator comes with these what if questions. Show me your algorithm. Explain it to me as if I have no idea, and engages with with those who design these products and challenges them to think of the impact and the result of what they're creating beyond the wonderful intellectual abstract challenge of solving a problem. Right. Right. So public relations having a seat at that table at that, you know, the, the that originating thought process. Definitely. I think that's that's one of the most important things that we need to do. And um, we're so getting access to, to the boardroom and to the technology thinkers is it's pivotal. Now training and how we understand ethics and how we, we mitigate what is good, whether we're looking at business good or society good, that's something that we need to do as a profession. So among ourselves, amongst ourselves, among academia, educators, how we teach, but also to to continue to put pressure the other way around and trying to uncover the impact of these unquestioned technologies. I think, um, look, Shannon Bowen, she's at the University of South Carolina. She has fantastic research looking into ethics and technology and the role uh, of the Public Relations Council. So I think she's she's the, the better person for you to talk to. Uh, well, great. Well, yeah, th- yeah, that sounds like s- someone we would want to have on the podcast for sure. That's interesting. Uh, and, and I love your points here about the fact that public relations professionals, we can't exist just in this very narrow silo or, or box dealing with communications and relationship building issues, trends, you know, the, that toolbox without being cross-disciplinary and having that open mindset about learning the technical aspects of whether it's technology or whether it's operations or, the, you know, the things that we're having to communicate about and be impacted by. I think that's such an important point. Well, Yeah. Absolutely. And this brings us back to activism. This will make us activists. You know, it will make us as practitioners focus a lot more on the value that we bring to the communities and the society in which in which we operate. And therefore, our work in, in the future is going to be in, in trying to, to bring together 
to to create bridges and and discussion debate opportunities where these questions can be asked and answered. Well, and and building bridges, I think that's a terrific idea to conclude our chat on. And thank you so much, Anna, for the time that you've given us today. We appreciate it very, very much. And uh, just the perspective and expertise that you've given have been very enlightening. Well, thank you so very much again for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Anna. We appreciate your joining us today. And to our listeners, please be sure to follow Dr. Anna Adi at Twitter handle Anna underscore Adi, and that's A-N-A underscore A-D-I. You can download the Women in PR podcast on Apple Podcasts or from Anna's site on SoundCloud. And listeners, please follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can follow me as well at Mary Beth West and Kelly Fletcher at KD Fletcher. We will respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag misinterpreted, and that's hashtag MSinterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. Everyone, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.